our vision statement around here is building a growing community of vibrant Jesus followers, visibly impacting our spheres, shaping our city and serving our world. This is one of the ways in which we can practically do a number of different things and why I think God's actually interested in engaging with people in causes in situations, both far afield, even the way up in Nooka, and as part of our city as well. And so that's why, if you haven't heard that there's an election coming and brewing, have you heard that? There's an election brewing around the traps? And uh, along the way, I would encourage you uh, to be informed. In fact, if there's some various forums that are coming up, we might shoot them through with you so you can have some discussion and interaction along the way. But at the same time, be an informed person because we have this wonderful thing in Australia called democracy. Did you know that? And, and it's a real gift. And so you might want to make decisions based upon your values based. And so as you sort of look at different political parties, I would encourage you at this election time to be informed and let your values shape some of the decisions that you make around here. We're unpacking this month the whole idea of who do you think you are and a sense of identity. How does that shape you? What are the things that are important to you that maybe have been passed down through your family ancestry or maybe you've just picked up yourself as a value when you say this is important to me, I want to act on it on the basis of what I value in and around my life. And just before we get there, there's two things I want to mention is that in two weeks time, we are starting a new series called Keeping in Sync. Does anyone here in the room need to keep sync in their relationships? Alright, it's just me. In fact, Bron and I are going to be doing this. Bron and I are going to be unpacking this in a couple of weeks' time, and we're going to be sharing some things. I haven't told her that yet, but she is going to, and so I'm giving her some material to work with just now. So we have, every term, we have one particular theme that we say, invite a friend along to, invite someone that it might help with in the workspace, how do you keep sync? At school, how do you keep sync? In relationships, husband and wives, how do you keep sync? And that's what we're going to be unpacking in that particular, um, in two weeks' time, for a series that we do along the way. If you want to travel with me this morning as we pick up this theme of Exodus that we've been moving through and teaching on, um, you can do so on your version, uh, or if your Bible that you have with you, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 5 through to Exodus chapter 10. If you hear nothing else about what I'm going to say for the entire rest of the morning here this morning, I just want you to know this. Did you know that there is a God who wrestles for you because you are of infinite worth and value? Let me say that again. I believe there's a God who's alive that wants to be actively involved in your life. In fact, he wrestles for you because he thinks you're worth it. Even though you might be in need of great repair, there is a God who wrestles for you. And why? Because he thinks you're of infinite worth. I wonder if you've ever had anyone in your life that you can remember as we're telling those outrageous stories. Thank you, Greg. About how people have backed you up in the past. We're going to censor some things in the future. Is that all right, Yvonne? I wonder if you've had anyone who's actually had your back. I remember playing football for your lawn, your lawn north many years ago now. And in fact, we were playing one particular game against a team called Hill End. If you've ever been up there, you'll know why it's called Hill End. In fact, this particular footy ground, it was hilarious. If you stood on one side of the boundary and looked across... You would only see the people's torsos as they were running. It was that kind of slopey. And in fact, this community would bring out their cowbells. If you kicked a, a goal or something like that, they would ring them. So it was a really unique kind of setting. And it was one of the first times I had been down there as a wet-behind-the-ear city boy. And uh, back in those days, you would switch uh, Rover with forward pocket. I was playing Rover because I was so tall. 
and uh, they would switch. That's what they, the way they did it. And I didn't know that the guy I was switching with had been niggling this other player. So when we did the switch, I went down there and I stood beside this Hillen player and he kind of niggled me like they do and, and I niggled back and then he niggled me a bit more and I kind of just I hold my ground, niggled him back and then he niggled me more and I niggled him back and then all I, the next thing that I was doing was picking myself up off the ground. I didn't know where I was. Apparently he'd stepped back and he'd king hit me from behind. Could you believe that? All right, you could. <laughs> Come on, lo- loosen up everyone. And, and I remember going, I did not know what land I was in. I, I remember going up to our ruckman and staring him in the eyes and just saying, I don't know where I'm supposed to be playing. Where am I playing? And he said, go down and stand by the tall white posts. <laughs> That's all I remember. I remember get, getting pulled off and then afterwards in the change room, the guy I was switching with, he said, it's okay, Bicky, because I got him back for you. <laughs> like this. And I'm not advocating violence like Greg this morning. <laughs> but have you ever had a situation where someone has had your back? The one thing that stands out in those situations is that even if you don't agree with the way and the methodology they've used, there's something inside you that goes, they did that for me because they think I'm worth it. Make sense? There's a God who wrestles for you. Why? Because he thinks you're worth it, even though you might be in need of great repair. And the story that we've picked up in these last uh, two weeks is the story of Exodus. If you asked a Jewish person what is the most important part of your Torah, they would say it was when we were born as a nation. This man Moses is the leader. And these are the events that we've been unpacking the last two weeks. We find that the Israelites, the people of God from the Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are in an oppressed land in Egypt. They have been made to work There was a hint of genocide that swept through, such was the the trauma and the fear that the Egyptians had towards this people group. And so they were living in not only the tyranny of a land that was oppressing them, but also the fear of their lives day in and day out, generation after generation. And there was a man by the name of Moses who had a shot at leading them out of it and he failed miserably. But then God speaks to him and says, look, the years had passed and the king of Egypt had died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he looked down at the people of Israel and it says that he knew it was time to act. God wanted to do something. And so then he sends and he speaks to, to, to Moses in the wilderness because he's licking his wounds after a failed attempt to lead his people out of this tyranny. And for 40 years, he's been living in the desert of Midian until one day God reveals himself through this, this bush that doesn't burn up and he's attracted to it. He goes over and God reveals himself and he gives him a verb. Um, Moses says, who will I tell the people of Israel who you are? And he gives him a verb, which is, I am who I am. That is, I'm all present. I'm all powerful. I'm active. I am. I don't need to have uh, unpack it any further than that. Just I am. In fact, the, the word, the derivative comes from this word Yahweh. And he says, I want you to go and tell the people that Yahweh, that is, I am who I am, all present, all powerful, all sufficient, all active, is with you. And so he goes back and he tells the people of Israel this message that he has from God that he's going to lead them out. After this, 
presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh and they told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. And so what does Moses do? He goes in to Pharaoh and he stands before him. Now, this isn't just like an interview with someone who's important. This is Pharaoh. This is the most powerful person in their world. In fact, Pharaoh was considered to be like a go-between the deities of all the different um, gods and goddesses of the pantheon of Egyptian. This Pharaoh, if he wasn't divine himself, he was considered to be the mediator between. So he was the one who had connection with all of the gods. And so Moses walks in with this message, just let your workforce go, Pharaoh, because they belong to God. They're his people. And so he goes in and asks the most powerful man this big ask. And of course, what happens is that the the big ask of Pharaoh to Pharaoh falls to the ground. He says, is that so? And who is this Lord, this I am person? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. In fact, after this, Pharaoh says, you know what? You have been so, so um uh, you have so much time on your hands. The reason you're coming and asking me if I should actually let you go and sacrifice and worship me in the wilderness is because you have too much time on your hands. So he ups their workload. He ups that. Can I get you to hit that switch? Then he ups the workload, and he says, "Now you have to collect all of the straw, and you have to keep the same quota of brick making." And, and, and then the kind of the oppression, if you like, just continues, and it gets worse and worse and worse. Well, the people come. To Moses and they say, we took your instruction, Moses, and it's only got worse for us. And then Moses goes to God and he says, I went to Pharaoh and did what you said, and it's only got worse. What are you going to do? Has anyone here ever tried to help someone and found that it only got worse? Some years ago, I was in Box Hill Plaza. Some of you might know this. I was in Box Hill Plaza and there was this elderly man, elderly man. And he was standing on the edge of the escalator. Have you ever seen people stand on the edge? And he was doing this on the escalator. He's kind of trying to step on, but he just, he was doing this. He was kind of caught. And, and, and me being the kind person that I am, I, I, I kind of just was going up the escalator. So I thought, I'll just help, help this gentleman up the escalator. And, and so I did. I actually came and I took his arm, just under his arm here. And I said, sir, it's okay. I can help you on. And we just kind of stepped on like that. Just stepped on. And what I didn't realize is on this escalator, was this old escalator, it was kind of one of those rickety ones. Have you been on a rickety escalator before? You know the ones. And you start to kind of wobble like this on the way up. Halfway up, he was leaning on me like this. And so it was kind of embarrassing because we're in the middle of Box Hill Plaza or Central or wherever it is. And, and I kind of had to put my arm around him like this. And I kind of hitched him up to my hip like this. It's this elderly gentleman. And we're going up like this up the escalator. And the further we got up the escalator, the more he leant into me. This is true story. I kid you not. And he's kind of leaning. And so by the time we get to the top of the escalator, I'm basically holding this gentleman up in Box Hill Plaza like this. And then we get to the top and there's that little edge, the trip switch, you know, that little step. Man, we missed that. <laughs> the two of us, we just kind of tripped and we fell onto the floor. Literally at the top, I was just trying to help him, all right? We fell onto the floor. We are both on the floor. And then I look up and the worst thing ever happens, like the thing you would not imagine in a thousand years. I look up and his leg has disconnected from his body and it's at right angles to his body. Serious. I look across and I've gone, 
I've cut his leg off. People ran from everywhere. People brought chairs and they were lifting him up. I didn't know he had a prosthetic leg. That's what he was doing at the bottom of the escalator. He was trying to get his prosthetic up onto the... And here I am, and I'm in the middle of it all. People rush from everywhere. I've killed this gentleman. I can't believe it. I was just trying to help. And so what did I do? As all the people gathered around, I got him on a chair. What, what would you do? I just slinked away into the ether. I still don't know if he survived. Was there any news articles from 10, 15 years ago of a gentleman that had been lost? I don't know. Have you ever tried to? So this is exactly what happened to Moses. Exactly what happened. And then God says to him this, therefore, I'm going to say this to you, Moses. I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. I want you to go back to Pharaoh, the one who's rejected you, and say this. He says this to Moses. Pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you. And Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave this country. And then there's a little hitch here, a little catch. And then it says this, but eventually, that's my word, I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt so these Egyptians will truly know who I am. Let's just leave that there for a moment up there because that's a curious thought. God hardening someone's heart. So then he sends him in. And he says, this is how I want you to reveal yourself. Take your staff. And I want you to go to him and say these simple words, let my people go. And he did. And he laid down his staff on the ground and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh looked at this and go, oh, he's more powerful than he's a, like the serpent deity. And then he brought in his own magicians and they did the same thing. But this staff swallowed up all the others. So Pharaoh said, no, 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 I will not let them go. We can do that. And so then he goes back again to him. And, and he's, God says to Moses, I want you to take your staff and place it over the river Nile. And go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he went there and Pharaoh said no and he did this and it turned to blood. And, and then all of a sudden he calls his own magicians in and they can do the same thing. Now let's just pause here for a moment because some of you here might be going, Troy, did you actually believe in these miraculous things? I mean, really? Rivers turning to blood? Let me say these things to you. Firstly, number one is this. If I think there's a God, then I think miraculous things can happen. Yeah? Number two. Even if you don't believe there's a God here this morning, that's okay. You're welcome to be part of our community. Checking out God, that's fine. I think you'd agree with me that we both believe that miracles happen. Because we're talking to one another. The whole idea that we can arrive out of literally, as the cosmologist says, space, time and chance. And that we could actually be having this interaction right now is proof to me that miracles do happen and we are them right now. So whether or not you believe there's a God who did it all or not, miraculous things strike me as being... They happen, and we're testament to that. Third thing I want to say is that if you ask the indigenous people of these cultures about spirituality, they are far more in touch, as John and Jenna would tell you, than we are. In our Western mind, we just go, there is nothing beyond the material. You go and talk to indigenous people, and it's not because they're lesser or they're dumb, but they'll say, there is another world that's connected. The third, fourth thing I want to say is that the Bible is not a scientific manual. So if you're asking me, did hemoglobin turn up in this river? I don't know. Maybe not. 
maybe, but they thought it was blood and it was real and it was assigned to them. Yeah? Let's go on. He goes to him again and he says, let my people go. This time when you go, tell him that we're going to send a frog plague. Frogs from everywhere. And they come and they're in the breakfast cereal. They're in the shoes. They're coming out of their ears. There's frogs everywhere over the land of Egypt. And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh finds that his magic people do the same thing again. So he says, no. So he sends him back again. And he says, tell Pharaoh that if he doesn't let my people go, I'm going to send swarms of gnats or lice. Could you imagine mums? Mums, dads, hair of children, yeah, everywhere, everywhere. There is no mechanism to get rid of them. They're everywhere all over the land. And, and in the midst of it all, Pharaoh goes, we've got to stop this. And his magicians couldn't do it. He said, these, the magician said, this must be the finger of God, bigger than our deities. But still, he says no. And he goes one more time and he says to him, let my people go. And if you don't, I'm going to send a fly plague that's even bigger than Cubapedi. Has anyone been to Cubapedi before? They call them raisins up in Cubapedi because in the summertime, when you open your mouth, they fly in and they're so used to it. I've been told that some of the miners just munch away. Let's move on. <laughs> let my people go. Flies everywhere. And still Pharaoh says, no, get rid of the flies, but I won't let them go. And then God gives an ultimatum. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me in all of the earth. Let my people, my son, my firstborn Go. But the Lord, it says, hardened Pharaoh's heart. And just as the Lord had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. I reckon it's about this time that you and I would say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, enough is enough. Why on earth haven't you relented? The only way I can answer that is by telling you a story of a project my wife and I were involved in a number of years ago in the United States. For in our third year of study over in the States, we ended up living in a domestic violence shelter for women who were trying to get away and their children from violent men. And in that place, the question's often asked of the woman, why doesn't she just pick up her kids and leave? You don't understand. You don't understand the trauma. You don't understand the fear. We don't understand the pain involved. Not just for leaving, but the oppression. So I remember there was a lady on the other side of us. It was a long-term housing. She had three children. Her name was Cindy. And even the police were scared of her husband. He was in jail. And they were there trying to respond to, if you like, pick the pieces up their life again together because of the trauma was so great in their lives. And they were there. And we were trying to connect with them and help them and serve them and in any practical way. Six months after we left... And someone else filled the space. The husband either escaped from jail or was let out and he promptly went and kidnapped them and took them to the Oregon coast. And they were laid up there for six months until one night they escaped to sound the alert. Wow. Why does that happen? Why wouldn't Pharaoh let them go? Because at the heart of those things is this thing called control. I want to control 
you. Make sense? The fear, the trauma, the pain, the abject. Let them go. That's exactly what Pharaoh's doing here. Every time let them go, control. Every time let them go, pride. Every time let them go, they're my possession. And God is wrestling with them until finally one day he draws a line in the sand and he says, enough is enough. If you won't let them go, I'll harden your heart and I'll let you have your way. And then I'll multiply my miracles and my judgments upon you until you will push them out from your country because they are my children, my son. I remember coming home from the first time I would had a child. I had a child. Yes, I had a child. Driving on the Eastern Freeway, 80 kilometers an hour in the inside zone. Baby on board, everyone. Back away, back away. Brand new baby on board. Yeah. Have you ever seen someone try and get between their mum and their chicks? Ooh. God says to Moses, I want you to go in there and tell Pharaoh, let him go. I wonder if you knew when the decision for you would be your last decision before a habit becomes an addiction, if you would not have done and made that decision again. We live with this the idea, don't we, that I'm in control and that I can keep doing some of my things on the side and they won't infect me, they won't control me. I'm in control of it. But the way in which sin so easily entangles reminds us that one step too many and a habit becomes, a practice becomes an addiction. I wonder if God whispered on your shoulder and said, no more. This is your last time. And then there's a line in the sand. If you would have said, I'll stop. I'll change. I'll turn. So he goes back to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Send a hailstorm. It'll destroy the country. He says, no. He says, let my people go. If you don't, Locusts will come and eat what has not been destroyed by the hail. He would not let them go. He says, darkness will fall on you, even more powerful than your sun god, Ra. Let my people go. Eerie darkness for days. Pharaoh says, no. Pride, control. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll strike Pharaoh in the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he'll be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. And I'm going to leave that for Yvonne to unpack next week. Thank you, Yvonne. Do you know there's a God who wrestles for you? Wrestles for you. Because you are worth it. He's wrestled for you. He wrestles for you because he thinks you're worth it. If you ask God here today, why did you go to all that trouble to try and just get them out like that? Why didn't you just say, okay, Pharaoh, have it your way. They're yours. Because God would say, you're of infinite worth, in need of great repair, and I wrestle for you. God wrestles for you. And if there's something else that's got control of your life that would inhibit you from knowing and coming to him, then this today... I think you'd want to break it. Break the control. Break the addiction. 
so that he might be great in your life. There's a wonderful passage in the Bible. A couple of thousand years after these events, a man named Jesus comes. And it says this, But when the right time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom Freedom from the suffering, freedom from sin and death itself for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent forth his spirit into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What this is trying to say is that when someone places their simple faith in Jesus... For being God's son who lived, died and rose for them, he welcomes you into his family. You do not have to rely upon blood family connections. You become adopted into his. He forgives you, washes you clean. He fills you with his spirit and he welcomes you into his family. So now that this tree becomes your tree for anyone who would. You. So all of these stories all the way back become your stories, part of you. Some people would ask us, why do you want to get involved in advocacy within Marunda, within the wider world? The simple answer would be there's a God who has wrestled for you and wants you to wrestle for other people in situations that you can act upon. Band's going to come in a moment. We're going to finish with some music and reflection. And I've said a lot of things today. You're processing a lot of things. But just in the pause right now, there's going to be a song that Pete's going to sing called No Longer Slaves. And then a second one to respond to, if you like. But I just want to unpack these four things about where all this might settle with you and mean for you today. Right where you are. Firstly, I heard someone say to my wife at a party the other week, I shouldn't be here. As I look around and see all these other people, I don't think I'm worthy to be here. That doesn't happen in this house. You see, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or been done to you, you are worth it. Do you need to hear that today? There's a God who wrestles for you. I wonder if you are in a wrestling moment of your life and you, you just haven't even switched into God. You need it in this space that when Pete sings to pray and call out to him. Say, God, would you wrestle for me in this situation? He's active and alive. Maybe this week, young people, students, older people, you will be placed with a situation where you could stand in and act for someone else because you know God has wrestled for you, so you want to wrestle wisely for other people. Or maybe when it comes time. To just respond in a sense of worship and thankfulness. This is the God who wrestles for me. Is it worth it? Worth it. Do you hear these words? Do you allow God to speak to you? And do not harden your heart. Thanks, Pete.